The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, my prayer uh, right now is just that you would draw our gaze to the mount of your redeeming love. We just sang about that, Lord, but I pray that you would take this time that we gather and sing your praise and uh, look at your word and observe the Lord's Supper together. Lord, I pray that you draw our gaze towards that redeeming love. I pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I got to jump in today. No messing around. We got a Two, two sermons for the price of one today, so I don't know if you paid your fee on the way in the door. We don't really do that, but, uh, but we, uh, yeah, I was just kind of as I studied this week, I thought, yeah, we kind of need to look at that passage too, so uh, we are going to continue our look at Psalms, uh, the book of Psalm, Psalms, Psalm 51 today is, as I mentioned last week, is called a penitential song. Okay, what word do you hear in there? Penitential, you hear like re- Pent, okay? It's that whole idea of dealing with sin. This is a psalm that David prayed. Now, just to review last week, because I know you all are great students. You remember everything that I ever say, right? Uh, but, uh, but last week, we talked about the different kinds of psalms. Last week, we looked at Psalm 100, which was all about praise. Anybody want to tell me what, that saw, what kind of psalm that was? It was a thank you very much. All right. I thought I heard that voice. I thought it was my wife. I thought, okay, uh, but uh, but good. <laughs> she gets a she does not get a passing grade. But it was a hallelujah psalm. That's right. And then, then we also talked about the imprecatory songs that David prayed, kind of like, get my enemy, take care of him, fight my battles for me. We mentioned messianic songs that prophesied about De Jesus' return. Uh, I, I mentioned, too, that we were going to next week look at songs of lament, but actually I'm going to postpone that because two weeks from today we have our guest uh, speaker, Dave Hills, is going to come. And uh, here, here's why I, I thought I, he recommended a book to me about you know, dealing with difficulty. It's called... Uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies, and I've been reading it, and I thought, boy, that'll make a good sermon, you know, some different things from the Psalms of Lament, but then I thought I've asked him to talk about grief, and I thought I might steal a sermon the week before, so I'm going to postpone that, but two weeks from uh, today, uh, we do have our guest here, Dave, and, and, and he'll talk to us a little bit about that. For today, though, we are in Psalm 51, so i got to start off, show you, first of all, what it says at the beginning of the song. It says, to the choir master, uh, which some debate whether that was actually a choir master, if it's talking about the great choir master, God, but anyway, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Okay, now, this phrase that if, you're, if your Bible's open is at the beginning of Psalm 51 is not sometimes like um, men have put little subtitles in there to help us guide our way through the Bible. This is not one of those. This is part of the original text uh, that says this, that this is a, this is a psalm from David, at a time when Nathan the prophet had confronted him about sin that he had uh, committed. So what we want to do before we actually get into Psalm 51, we're going to go back to in a minute and, and look at that little story of what took place. In fact, we're going to look at a text in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to read through some of that confrontation that Nathan had. Then, then we'll look at Psalm 51, uh, David's prayer of repentance. But I'm going to ask you just to think with me for a few minutes about this guy by the name of David. 
Now, David, first of all, he definitely is one of the good guys of the Bible, right? I mean, we name our kids David. We don't name our kids Judas. <laughs> Come here, Judas. Uh, maybe your dog, I don't know. But, uh, but we don't normally pick that name uh, you know, in our culture. We're going to name our kid Judas. But we do t- uh, take the name David. It's a beautiful name. He is a hero of the Bible. But think through about David with me. Okay, first of all, David is called the sweet psalmist of Israel. David is called a man after God's own heart. David was probably the greatest king of Israel. Not probably. I think that that's, that's what we look at. In fact, when you study like around Christmas times, they give you the genealogies of Mary and Joseph. They both trace back to David. We think of uh, sometimes Jesus being called the son of David. Uh, Reverend says, so David, good guy. Okay, we like David. However, however, if you have ever read through in the Old Testament some things in David's life, we're just going to hit the two main ones right now. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Now, we could go on and look at some other ups and downs in David's life, but David is so on one side we have this sweet psalmist of Israel, on the other side we have adulterer and murderer. And I don't know about you, when I hear those words, I think, well, I kind of snapped at a cashier yesterday in Martin's, uh, but I did not kill him. And, I, you know, I'm pretty proud of that. And I kind of look and say, you know, David, man, this guy, you know, it, and we have a little bit of a hard time, I do anyway, with the duplicity of that. Saying, you know, wait a minute, you know, was David, you know, a great uh, follower of God who loved God, a guy after God's own heart? Or was David this guy that struggled terribly uh, with murder and adultery? And real quickly, if you don't know the story, uh, you know, David, the Bible says at a time when kings were off at war, he was uh, sitting back and he saw this beautiful woman and he took this woman that wasn't his, it was somebody else's wife. Uh, and after that, he decided to, uh, with her pregnancy, he wanted to cover that up. Uh, so he tried a couple different ways to cover it up, ended up it didn't work out. So he had the, the husband killed. Uh, basically, he sent him out to the front lines of battles where he knew he'd be killed, and he did all this. And then what he did about that afterwards is he fell on his face and he repented right away. No, he did not at all. He actually had covered it up and figured I got away with this and went at least nine months uh, before we get to our story here in Second Samuel. So I'm going to now, now I want, want to say this carefully. Whenever I'm like, okay, here's what the Bible says, I don't want you to think, okay, well, I'll see if I agree with it. I don't want you to do that. That's not where we say, we'll see if we agree with it. If God said it, I don't think we really get to pick and choose. Well, I like this. I don't like this. However, I want to give you a quote from somebody who is actually a, kind of a hero of mine. You know, let, let me back up with that for a second, too. You know, thinking back about David, you know, sometimes with our heroes, we get incredibly disappointed. Uh, for example, I had, a, I had a pastor that I had collected his books. I had about 12, 14 different books of his. And then I found out that he had one of these double lives. And that came out, the duplicity of his life. And I'm a little bit of a reactionary. I took all, all my books and took them out of the dumpster right away. That does it. I'm not reading him anymore. Uh, there was a Christian artist, that, a singer, that we really liked a lot of his songs. And then we found out that he had left his wife and family and gone into perversion. Same thing. I never listened to him again. I, you know, I'm kind of like that. But if you think about it, well, should I do that with the Psalms? Up, oh, Song of David, I'm not reading that. That guy's an adulterer. Do you, know, you know what I mean? You know? So I want to look at, at how, really, how God dealt with this. Now, first of all, I mentioned, uh, I started to use the phrase, one of the guys I really like is this pastor out of Chicago by the name of Colin Smith. And he has this quote. Again, Bible, you look at it and you say, no, I don't get to pick what I want. Quote from a man, whether it's me or somebody else, you can analyze this. So I want you to do that with me. Here's what he said about David. He said, David was a man who genuinely loved God, but had over time carved out an area of his own life 
that was never submitted to God, and he allowed sin to have a stronghold in his life. So he said he believes that David was a man who genuinely loved God, but over time he had kept this one area of his life back, and he had allowed it to carve out a little hole and a stronghold in his life for sin. Now, like I said, that's something you might debate, and we could talk about sometimes, well, I can't believe he really loved God when he did these things. But I will say this from my own personal experience and from the many of the lives that I've seen, and I've looked and I've seen this duplicity in people's lives, I do think it is possible for people who love God to do that, kind of hard, hold back this one area of our lives. And I, and I really, I, I think that that is a pretty good description of what happened with David here. You see, our natural reaction or the nat- natural sequence that we have when we sin is not to repent. It'd be great if it was. I sin, I repent. I go back to God, I ask his forgiveness. But our natural reaction to that is not that. Our natural reaction is to hide it and to cover it up. And we see that, again, we, we see that, of course, obviously in the life of David here, but you see that really uh, throughout Scripture um, that it starts in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned. What they do? They hid, hid from God. When Peter first recognized who the Lord was at one point, he said, to, he didn't say, oh, I want to be near you. He said, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. He said, get away from me. And we a lot of times will hide our sin and will hide from God. That is our natural reaction. So this, listen to this statement. Since our instinct is to run, There is no hope for restoration if left to us. Let me say that again. Since our instinct is to run and hide our sin and hide from God, there's no hope to be restored to God if left to us. In other words, every restoration, every repentance, every coming back to God, every return to Him is a gift of God's grace. Okay, And that's what we're really going to look at as we look at this story here is we're going to look at an example of God's grace. How God in this way, you see, we've already talked about what David did. David hid his sin and tried to pretend like it wasn't even there anymore and go on with life and cover it up. But let's see what God did about this. Okay, let's see how God showed his grace. And you may not think of this initially as grace, but how this happened. The Lord sent David, again, we have our capital L-O-R-D. This is the holy Yahweh. This is the God. And uh, he sends Nathan. Now, Nathan was a prophet. Remember, the role of the prophet is speak for God to man. Okay, the role of the priest, speak for man to God. The role of the prophet in the Old Testament was to speak to man from God. So God is sending his word. He came to him and he said, wants to tell him a little story here. Not a parable. He's going to tell him a little story. David is the king. David can judge this. So it's like, hey, I got a story for you. I want, to, I want you to judge, O king. Here you go. There were two men in a certain city. The one was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Okay, see, his one little lamb they, they loves like crazy. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it for the man who had come to him. <laughs> Great guy, huh? I got all these. I don't want to give up one of mine. I'll take that one that you really love, and I'll kill it. And we'll eat that. That will be a great plan. Well, look how David responds. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore that lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. 
Okay? So David doesn't play around. He's ticked. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to get mad when you see your sin in somebody else? Come on, parents. You see your kid doing the same thing? Isn't it easy to get mad? Is it easy to see our sin in somebody else? And when we do, doesn't it just irritate us to no end? Well, David, this is exactly what he did. He's supposed to figure this out, but he hasn't yet. Uh, And he's ticked because of seeing his sin like this. Okay, so Nathan said to David, you're the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered the hand of Saul. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if there were too, if this were too little, I would add much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite, that's, that's the woman's husband, with the sword and have taken his, wife to be, uh, um, taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. You sent him out to a place where you knew he was going to die. You, you killed him. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you and out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And ye shall lie with your wives in the sight of, the, uh, of this son. For you did not do this secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the son. Sorry, I didn't read that very well. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who was born to you shall die. So he goes through and, uh, and pronounces it on him. I want to take a moment uh, before we move back to Psalm 51, just a few observations from this story. First of all, The power of the word brings change. Now, notice in David's life, he did not repent because of his own conscience. You know, it wasn't like, boy, I felt guilty about this. I got to do something. He's hiding it. Time doesn't seem to be enough. Like I said, it was at least nine months, probably longer than that. Hey, eventually he'll repent. No, he wasn't going to. Misery, the fact that, and by the way, David was miserable. In the book of Psalms, chapter 32, verses 3 and 4, he said, My strength is gone. My bones are groaning all the time because of my sin. He was miserable because what he had done, but that did not lead him to repentance. What finally led him to repentance was Nathan bringing to him the Word of God. Okay? One a theme that we want to have for the year is the importance, how vital it is to have the Word of God in our lives, how important that is. And this is part of it, folks. I need the Word of God. I need that to speak to me. I need that to, because that is the thing that can bring change in my, in my life. These other things are not always going to do that. In fact, as we can see in David's lives, they don't do that. The second thing that uh, observation from this story is that the principles of God's word bring consequences. You'll notice in David's life, God said, you're not going to die. I'm going to spare you. And that gets more to our last point there about hope. But you are going to face some consequences. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse number 19, the prophet said, your wickedness will correct you. And, uh, you know, just that whole idea that our actions have consequences. There is the law of sowing and reaping. When I do wrong, 
Okay, it, it's going to be many times revisited. And, you know, you just want to think about, hey, is this the way that I want to be treated? I want to look at the other side of my actions. You know, that's what Jesus talked about in the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. We want to look at how our teenagers, sorry, sorry, Tyler, I'm looking at you. You want to think, honestly, do I want my children someday to treat me like I treat my parents? Uh, honestly, you, you want to go through that. You want to realize that my actions have consequences. So, you know, things turn around and everything like that. And all the consequences are not wiped away immediately because there's some natural repercussions of what David has done. But then God also says to him, you will not die. I am going to put away your sin. Uh, verse number 13 said, uh, and that sin gets put away onto Jesus, and God pursues him not because of his goodness, but because of God's co covenant promise. Okay? So that's where we are. So David has begun the process. Let, let me go back for a second because that last verse, you know, it says, here's what David did there. Uh, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. So David begins with repentance, and it begins to move him towards restoration. So now we're going to go back to Psalm 51, and we're going to see that little restoration process unfold in Psalm 51. So here we go. Here's how he began. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Now, I remembered that we were going to look at this phrase, and as we were singing that last, uh, that last song, uh, you know, I just thought, hey, I want to fix our eyes on the steadfast love, because David didn't repent in this situation according to his own merit. In other words, he didn't go to God bargaining and say, hey, God, uh, I'm the king. I can do great things for you if you'll just, you know, let me off the hook here. He said, have mercy upon me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. In other words, I'm not bartering here, God. I'm not bringing anything here. I realize what I deserve. I'm going to ask for your forgiveness based on who you are, not on who I am. Okay, and we want to follow that example. Okay, we don't want to go to God, you know, almost as if God owes us something. You know, we have a hard time getting away from the scale mentality in our minds where we think if I do enough good, it's going to balance out the bad that I do, and it doesn't, it doesn't go that way with God. Okay, I didn't come to God one day and say, God, would you forgive me because I'll do this, this, and this. I came to, I came to God and said, there is nothing I can do to outweigh my sin. I need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I want to trust in him, and that's how I know forgiveness. So David doesn't come in and say, hey, based on me, would you forgive me? I think I could be a really good guy, and I have done this, this, and this. I have done some good things. He says, based on your steadfast love, your, the abundance of your mercy, will you blot out my transgressions? Will you wash me thoroughly? Why? For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Okay, again, not the consequence. This, by the way, this is a really good sign in David. He doesn't say, man, I got myself in trouble. I want, I want forgiveness. He says, my sin is ever before me. He's going to go on and say a little bit more about that here. As we continue in Psalm 51, he says, against you, and you only have I sinned. Let me stop there for a second. David actually, if you look at this statement, against God only had he sinned. Well, he had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against Uriah. He had sinned against the people with his lies. But in his mind, the most important aspect of that that dwarfed all those others was the fact that he had sinned against God. And he had done evil. Don't miss that phrase. He had done evil in the sight of God. Love this little quote I came across this week. It says, none but a child of God cares about the eye of God. Now, let me go back there. He was, he was heartbroken because he had done evil in the sight of God. 
None but a child of God cares about the eye of God. Watching Upward yesterday. And uh, good old, good old Upward. Little kids going crazy. <laughs> we haven't had uh, Upward for, you know, we didn't have it last year. So a lot of the kids, like last week, were in their first game. You should have seen it. It, it did not resemble basketball in any way, shape, or form. Uh, just kids running around, running into each other, and yelling at each other. They were having a good time. I, I got to say this, though. They really improved over week. I saw that in the first and second graders. Would you agree with me, Daniel? It was better yesterday. Yeah, it's, it somewhat resembled basketball. I think by the end of the year, we will know that it's basketball without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, they'll make progress. But I'm watching these little kids, <laughs> and you know, you know, there's some kids that just, they naturally dominate. You know, they just get the ball, and they, t- they take over. There's some kids that you know when they get the ball, you don't have the hardest of ref to call traveling because they cannot stand still. Uh, you know, they're just dancing all over the place. And you just let them go up to the hoop and take a shot. Uh, and then when it goes in, you know that's about the only shot they're going to make all year, you know, and they're, and they're like, yes, uh, uh, like that. And I always, as the ref, I'll always say, hey, great, buddy, high five, and they ignore me. You know why? They could care less what I think. Who are they looking for? Mom and dad. Their, their eyes are, where's my mommy? I just made a shot. Uh, where, where's daddy? Because they want that. Okay, because we are the children of God, we care about the eye of God. Now, why is that that's so significant here? Uh, I want you to remember again when I'm talking about the eye of God, I'm not talking about the stalker eye of God, the catch you when you're doing wrong eye of God. I'm talking about the nanny cam eye of God that's on our lives all the time. And it is a very, uh, this is so important, folks. It is a very, very good sign in your life when your sin is breaking your heart because you know it breaks the heart of your father. That is a very good sign. Because, see, if you can continue just to do wrong, we talked about David, okay, and this, this, uh, you know, lack of continuity, what's the word I'm looking at? Duplicity of his life where, okay, on one side I love God, on the other side I'm doing this here. If you can continue over here in the I don't really care and never be miserable about it, that's not a good sign of your childship, childhood, that, that might be a word, uh, to God. That might not be a good sign that, that you actually know him as father if you can continue in that. And David said, I've done evil in your sight. And he goes on, he says, that you might be justified in your words, blameless in your judgment, for I was brought forth in iniquity. He talks about that idea of original sin. You know, not that I am a sinner because I sin, but that I sin because I was born in sin, as mankind is. I did and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Then he says this, purge me with hyssop. Back in the first couple verses, we read that idea of washing, purging. A couple things about that I want to point out. First of all, the washing of that time. Now think about it. You have a washing machine at home. Uh, you go and you have a bunch of different settings. You know, you can put it on delicate. And especially if you have things that are particularly delicate, you use wool light. Is that even still a thing? Does wool light still exist? Somebody help me out. I just remember the commercials for your fine delegates. Uh, where we'll, we'll like to take care of things like that. But we have different settings and we treat things like Think about the washing back then. I mean, you can even just go back to colonial times. Remember, you see this woman out there beating the snot out of the dirt, you know. Uh, sorry for the stereotyping, but it was usually women doing it. Uh, you know, and they're on the washboard and they're beating the snot out of it. Get that out of there. And, and, and I, I can even remember watching something where I'm going to pound those stains out. I think that might have been from Gone with the Wind or something like that. I saw that. I'm going to pound those things out. But when you talk about this idea of God, I want you to wash me 
a lot of times that washing can be a painful thing. Okay, it can be hard to go through. God, you washed me. But he mentions doing it with hyssop too, which the significance of that, uh, hyssop was what was used in the sacrificial to sprinkle blood. Hyssop was what was used to sprinkle purifying water in the sacrifices that they did. And David is very much saying, I need you to be my priest. Okay, I need you to be my priest in this situation. I, I need that. I need my sins atoned for. That's, that's what I need. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Remember, we talked about David's been miserable on the inside. He said, I don't want that anymore. Hide not your face from me. Would you blot out all my iniquities? Then he says, create in me a clean heart. This word create is the same word that goes back to Genesis 1. It is the idea of making something out of nothing. Okay, and I wanted to point that out there because the psalmist didn't just say, hey, clean me up a little bit, change me around a little bit. I didn't, he said, I need a whole new heart. And the Bible talks in the book of Jeremiah about the fact that he'll replace our heart of stone and give us, uh, give us you know, this living heart, this alive heart. And he says, give this, give this to us here. Would you, would you give me that, God? Would you create this in me? Uh, give me this new heart. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see the Spirit here? He's not hiding anymore. Cast me not away from your presence. i got to come close. I'm going to be restored. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The renewed relationship is what I want you to think about today. And I also want you to think about this. I want to introduce you to some new friends in your life, okay, that you may not think of as friends. One of them is confrontation. Confrontation in this story is an act of God's grace. We don't like to be confronted when we do wrong. But would you know that God sends that because he's merciful and he wants us back in a relationship with him to draw us close? So confrontation is a friend. Consequences of our actions we don't like to think of those as being our friends, but they are. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. His children are going to be punished. And, you know, that, that just makes sense. I mean, just think about it with your kids. Think about the parent who never would give any consequences to their children. Uh, you know, how much is that really love? How much is that really teaching them anything? But God loves us, and therefore consequences are going to be an act of his love. Conscience, think of that as a friend, too. If we are living with a secret component of our life, if you are living, if, 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 if we're doing that, may I encourage you just to explore what God wants out of this, okay? We, we know how you're acting. How does God, God wants you restored. God wants to bring you back. Um, let me uh, show you this guy here. Do you know him? I picked him on purpose, just uh, just kind of random guy. This is random guy. You know how a lot of times I'll, I'll say, hey, I'm going to pick the first guy I see. So I'll, I'll use somebody out in the audience as an illustration. I didn't want to use anybody as an illustration. So I picked this guy. I'm going to call him Caleb. Do we have any Calebs in the church? I started with Carl, Carl the Christian, but then I thought, well, I got a Carl. We got any Calebs? Okay, we're going with Caleb, okay? This guy's name's Caleb. So you don't associate him with anybody. And he looks just like the all-American Christian guy at church, doesn't he? 
Have you noticed that a lot of the beards, you know, look around here, I'm seeing Nick Bartlett, but a lot of these guys in this age group, they're wearing these, these beards like this. I'm thinking about growing one so I look young and hip. I think by the time I'm 80, I ought to be able to have it full. <laughs> Mine comes in like two hairs at a time. Uh, but uh, but anyway, here's, here's our typical Christian guy. I mean, this is a great guy. You, you love him. He comes in with his family for church. You look like, Caleb. Caleb's a great guy, man. You know, he's kind of on a track to eventually be a leader in church. In fact, he's, he's moving up that track because he looks like a I mean, you can just tell, good guy. I mean, look at the guy. Look at that smile. He's got to be a great guy. And here's what we find out about Caleb. One day we find out that Caleb got online. The man's story is, is so common, it's, it's sad. That's why I didn't want to use anybody. I was like, man, how'd he know? Uh, but here's Caleb. He, he gets online one day, and he's, uh, he's on Facebook, and he starts talking to an old girlfriend from high school and seems pretty innocent, and pretty soon it's not innocent anymore. And, uh, and things fall apart in his life. And, uh, and we look at this, and, it, and it, it's devastating. I mean, it's devastating for those who know Caleb. It's devastating for his family. Uh, if his kids are old enough to figure out what's going on, you know, they're devastated by, by this. And, uh, and this happens many times. You know, we, we see this type of thing happen. Can I suggest to you that if Ch- Caleb is a child of God, what is happening when this is revealed is the very best Thing that could happen to him. It's not going to be easy. It's going to, be, it's going to inflict pain on a lot of people, and maybe that's part of the reason why he tells himself, I can't let anybody know about this. i got to keep it a secret because I don't want to hurt my family, and we tell ourselves these things. But can I suggest to you that, again, this restoration process that we look at in the life of David, from his prayer in Psalm 51, from the confrontation of Nathan, Nathan this restoration process that we see in this is an act of God's grace. Okay? On our own, we're not going to do it. We're going to hide it. On our own, we're going to pretend like it's not there. We're going to keep that compartment of our life carved out where God, almost like, can you, can you think how silly that is? But that we do that sometimes, it's like, God doesn't know this part of my life. And, and, and we, we carry on with the I love God and everything like that. And event, let, me, let me stop, or uh, let me take time to tell one more quick story here. I... I've been listening to a series of podcasts about a church from the West Coast that had a major fall and listen to that. But one of the podcasts was about a guy, and I'm going to mention his name. Just I, I kind of look at him a little bit differently than some of the others in the story, but a guy by the name of Josh Harris. I don't know if any of you remember that name or not. Josh Harris was very much a leader in what was called the purity movement. From everything I could tell, and everything like that. I just really liked this guy. He was, he was a good guy. He, was, he, he never had any formal education that we would let, think of. He was homeschooled, and then he didn't even go to seminary. He was actually mentored by some different preachers, lived in their basement and stuff like that. And, uh, and they mentored him and, and brought him in, and he ended up, uh, he had written a New York Times bestseller in his teens, I believe. And by the time he was in um, uh, and I'm sorry, and then he's pastoring this mega church in the D.C. area. And uh, I had heard the stories several years ago about how Josh had left Christianity, but in this podcast I'm listening to, it told the story a little bit. And after listening to him, first of all, I still liked the guy, but I heard the story of this guy that uh, 
some of these mentors in his life that he had trusted turned out to have this duplicity. Do you know, know what I mean? You know, he had trusted them. They were, they were his mentors and helping him. They learned it, and he learned that they had some of this duplicity. And he saw that in other people's lives. The church went through some hard times, and he watched, you know, different people behave in certain ways, and it was very discouraging for him. And then he thought to himself, hey, I don't, you know, am I leading people the right way? And he began to question the things that he believed and went through. And, it, and from what I could tell from the podcast, he, he's still questioning that. I mean, he's He's still kind of wrestling with where he was on that. But at this point, I can't lead people. I can't stand up in front. And I, I want to be honest with you. There, there are some weeks when I feel exactly like that. I'm not worthy to stand up in front. I don't want to. Uh, and so I got so much where he was coming from, you know, kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm not even sure where I'm going as far as that goes. And, and I listened to this, and uh, my, my heart broke for him because, you know, it wasn't like he was this arrogant, uh, you know, I don't care, you know, I'm... God needs me. It wasn't like that at all. I mean, it was very much a situation where he had looked and he said, okay, you know, wait a minute. How do we, how do we, how do we, uh, his own marriage. And, and he, he tells all this. I'm not talking out of school here. Uh, his own marriage was falling apart. And he looked at that and he said, I'm trying to lead people and help them have good marriages. And my marriage is struggling. It's, it's having a, t- a terrible time. And, you know, just honesty. And, so, and, and I, I just thought about how many of us are impacted by things like this. When we watch the Davids of this world, well, wait a minute, this guy loves God, but, but he's struggling terribly and everything like that. And I thought it would be a great thing for us to just take this little journey with David today, realizing that when God brings us to that place of bringing things out in the open, it is an incredible act of God's grace. And if we watch and read through this prayer that he prayed in Psalm 51, we just see a heart that is open before God. I'm not suggesting consequences immediately go away. In fact, I'm saying the exact opposite. But I am saying that our God is a God who restores. Okay? Our God is a God who restores. The very first relationship that he wants to restore is just you coming to him uh, to be a part of his family, to be adopted into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I I want to restore that. Sin has broken that relationship for everybody. And every one of us needs to come to the place where we say, I trust in what Jesus did. Now, roughly once a month around here, we take a moment and we remember what Jesus did. And we're going to do that today in a minute. So I want to briefly explain. Daniel, if I could get you to do the same thing for me back there. There's a table back there beside the sound booth. And we have a, a plate of crackers and some cups of juice here on each side and in a moment when the music starts some folks are going to get up and uh, you can come from both sides this table form a line and then like I said there's a table back back there and if you would like to be part of the Lord's Supper with us today if you'd like to not be part that's fine if you just want to witness it uh, you know just watch it maybe use this time to pray on your own that's fine but if you'd like to take the Lord's Supper I want to encourage you to come up and take a cracker and take a juice and return to your seat and then we'll we'll observe the Lord's Supper together in a few moments but (laughs) I mean, this really is what we're all about. We, we sing about fix my eyes on that atonement, on the fact that Jesus paid the price for our sin. And what we're doing when we do this is we're just remembering that Jesus indeed did that, that Jesus paid that price for my sin. And I think it is a very healthy and a very good thing, <laughs> obviously. Uh, that is what God has told us to do is remember do this in remembrance of him. Remember that he paid the price for my sin. So in a moment, like I said, we're going to take the cracker, which is to represent the body of Christ that was broken for us. 
and the blood that is to represent the new covenant. And remember, it is because of God's covenant that we know forgiveness. It's not because of our right doing. It's his covenant. It's not a contract. He doesn't say, hey, you do this and I'll forgive you. He says, I'm going to forgive you because I've made a covenant. And, uh, and to fulfill that covenant, I've sent Jesus Christ, my son, to die on the cross for you. Okay? You're not, not going to say you're going to deserve it. In fact, you're not going to deserve it. You don't deserve the Son of God dying for you, but because of a covenant, because of my love, because of my steadfast love, I sent my son to die on the cross for you. And that's what we're going to take some time and remember today. So I'm going to pray. They're going to play a little music in the background, and you'll see some folks get up and begin to uh, take, take the elements for communion. Again, if, if that's something, I'm not even sure what's going on here. You are very welcome just to s- sit back and don't, you know, don't feel any obligation to participate. Uh, but at the same time, if you want to follow what the Lord set up for his children, his people to do. That's what we're going to do here in a few minutes. So, Father, thank you. God, I'm sorry, that phrase keeps sticking in my head. Fix fix my gaze, fix my eyes on the mount of your redeeming love. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do that today. Just remember a redemption found in you, restoration found in you because of the finished work of Christ. As we remember that, as we thank you for that now, I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.